Welcome. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, we're going to be preaching a series through the month of May as we have entered this transition period here at First Baptist. I've kind of asked myself, what do we need to be doing, which lends itself to why are we here? What is our purpose for being here? It's been said that the primary purpose of any organization, once it exists, is to continue to exist. That's not good enough. That would be a poor reason for us being here. So why are we here? Well, the first, the greatest, the primary purpose for our being here is to worship and to adore our God. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, is just simply that. Our highest calling is simply to come together and to adore our God as a body. There is no higher calling. It doesn't matter what else we are doing and how good it is and how helpful it is to someone else. Every other thing, no matter how important, comes somewhere after worshiping our God. Worship has been described as the practice of losing oneself in the adoration of another. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your soul and all of your might. Psalms 33 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. First Chronicles chapter 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and all that is in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to thus to offer willingly, for all things come from you, and your own have we given you? And I thought of that verse as we were collecting our, our gifts this morning. Of your own have we given you. It's all his. Philippians chapter 2 verse 10. At the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Hebrews chapter 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by his power. I could go on all morning just quoting scriptures. God is the reason that we exist, and he is worthy of our praise. He is absolutely central to everything that happens on this planet and absolutely central to everything that we do here. Any plan or process 
or calculation that we make that does not include him is doomed to failure. So this morning, I want to share with you eight scriptural guidelines for worship. Now, first of all, before I begin, let me just say this. This is not a prescriptive recipe in the sense of uh, a, a recipe that you make and you put a quarter of a teaspoon of this and a half a cup of that, and if you don't follow the recipe exactly, you're doing it wrong, and disaster is soon to follow. Worship is first and foremost an affair of the heart. If you are adoring the Lord of our God, you're doing it right. Okay? So let's get that out of the way first. But having said that, I want to give you some guidelines that I think are very important. There'll be eight if you're taking, if you're taking notes. Guideline number one, our worship is intended to be exclusively directed toward God. That seems a little simple or a, a little self-explanatory, doesn't it? But worship is not simply a feeling of awe that is directed towards something larger than ourselves. We can venerate the majestic view from a mountaintop or the intricacy of the human body or even intangibles such as the love of a mother for her child. But the minute that we begin to focus on the creation rather than the creator, we have begun to worship idols. There are lots of things in this old world that are bigger than me, although fewer and fewer every year. But it's not just about finding something that's bigger than yourself. It's about God. In the fourth chapter of Matthew, you'll remember that Satan was allowed to tempt Jesus. And he took Jesus to what is described as an exceedingly high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he offered them to Jesus in return for his worship. And Jesus replied, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So before we go any further, we have to get our minds right. We are not to place our focus on attendance or music or anything else, not on any program that we do, not missions, not anything else. All of these are good, and they're necessary, but they're secondary. First, we bow down, and we worship God. I remember a long time ago, uh, something that was said about John Denver. Some of you are young enough, you say, who is John Denver? Well, he was, he was a singer, and quite a good singer, by the way extremely good. But at one point, he, he talked about uh, 
He felt spiritually fulfilled by climbing up to the top of a high mountain and sitting and squeezing a rock. Sorry, that doesn't quite get it for me. The object of our worship is important. We're not just trying to, to get that feeling of euphoria or that feeling of awe. We worship God, the creator of the universe. Guideline number two. Our worship is directed toward a known God. You remember in the Bible when Paul was preaching and he talked to those on Mars Hill who had, who had erected a monument to the unknown God and he said, I want to tell you about the known God. This is not simply an acknowledgement that there is a higher power out there somewhere or that there are things bigger than ourselves. Our worship is, our, our, our worship is directed toward the creator of the universe. And we are not at liberty to define him for ourselves. Here's a trap that we fall into too easily. We, we imagine, we create this construct in our heads of the kind of God that we would feel comfortable with, and then we worship that construct. Very dangerous. In an effort to be non-confrontational, in this nation we have developed the habit of saying to one another, you have a perfect right to your beliefs. I respect you. And that's fine if by that we mean that each person has intellectual freedom. It becomes a big problem, however, if we use it to mean one view of God is just as good as another. I want you to hear me well some views are right and some views are wrong. That's just the way it is. We worship a God who has been revealed, not just hinted at, in sacred scripture and in and through the life of Jesus Christ who was God incarnate, God in the flesh. In the fourth chapter of John, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well, and as they talk, she acknowledges him to be a prophet and asked him about the proper place of worship. His response is this, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. Again, there's a lot of talk about spirituality these days. I discovered when I was working on my master's degree that you can enroll in a course on spirituality. You can spend an entire semester complete with papers and tests and the whole deal studying spirituality. We're encouraged to respect one another's faith but it's as if we were honoring a painting that somebody had painted or a book that somebody had written. 
We talk as though whatever belief system a person conjures up is of equal value to what anybody else believes. A thousand times no. You may worship whatever you please. That much is true. But that does not make it worthy, and that does not make it true. The object of our worship is critical. We worship what we know. In Sunday school this morning, we, we looked at uh, the evidence for the authenticity of the Bible, just the, just the textual evidence, the, the manuscripts that have been preserved as compared to manuscripts of other ancient writings. And the evidence is abundantly clear. We worship what we know. Guideline number three. Our worship must always strive to recognize and honor God for who he really is. Honoring God means recognizing the honor that is his due and recognizing his worth. And that's a challenge. It's a challenge because if we allow ourselves to really, really meditate deeply on who God is and what he's done, if we could really somehow get our minds around that, I think the realization would be almost paralyzing. The Bible says he is too great for us to even look at. It's impossible to overestimate his majesty. Psalm 96 Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Are we ascribing the glory which is his due? We are enormously privileged, unimaginably privileged, to be able to call ourselves the adopted children of God, to be able to, to cry out to him with any little thing, to be able to say, Abba, Father, to approach him directly. But that access can never blind us to the fact that he is the king of glory. You can see already that I'm taking one central truth and just looking at it from different angles. That's because I'm, I'm trying to find a way for us to really deep down understand the worship, the respect that is due to our God. So we move on to guideline number four. Our worship is to be in spirit and in truth. Our worship must connect us to that which is spiritual. There is more to this world than what the natural man can see. We have to acknowledge that. We don't gather together just 
to do the kinds of things that evoke emotions. If you come to this sanctuary feeling bad and you leave feeling encouraged, that's great. But we're not just here to motivate you. If that were the case, you could stay home and do a little channel surfing and find a good motivational speaker. We're not just here for that. If you need assistance from a Christian brother or sister to cope with what's going on in your life, you got some real hard things going on, then we're happy to talk with you and we want to help you. We want to pray with you. We want to get you involved in a life group where you can get the support that you need. Our worship, though, is more than that. It's about making an actual connection to a spiritual realm and a God who is spirit. Our worship is about the spiritual realm and a God who is spirit or it's about nothing at all. John 4.21 says the hour is coming and now is when true worship worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Now we all know, if we're honest, that not all worship is in spirit or in truth. Some is neither. The appearance of worship can be done when the heart is far from God. The appearance of worship can be done when the heart is in a state of outright rebellion. Let me illustrate it in this way. One person retires from a job after a number of years. And there's a retirement party. And at the retirement party, there, there are speeches and handshakes and congratulations and pats on the back. And they come from the heart. But then, a few years later, old Grumble Gus decides to retire. And out of duty, a retirement party is given for old Grumbly. And there are handshakes and there are congratulations. But everybody knows that they're insincere. That this time, honor was paid with the lips while the heart was far away. Same thing can happen at church. You can come here and daydream or you can play with your phone or you can make business contacts or you can come here just to hang out with your friends. You can sing loudly. You can do any of those things. You can do it all and that doesn't make what you are doing an act of worship. Again, worship is an affair of the heart. Now we know that worship is not just about feelings. When we talk about a fear of the heart, we, we think all of a sudden we're getting awfully touchy-feely. 
and we know that feelings are fickle, worship is partly about obedience to God no matter how we feel, but we also have to acknowledge that when we come together to worship, if there is an atmosphere where feelings are dead or where any expression of the emotions that well up gets kind of squashed, true worship does not thrive in that environment. It just withers up and dies. I think we're a little too constrained sometimes. And uh, by personality, I'm probably as guilty as anybody in this room. Sometimes you feel, you, you feel a tear come in, what do you do? Push it down. Sometimes we need to allow a little more free reign to our emotions as we worship. We begin when we stand before our God with feelings of brokenness rather than joy. And then as we approach God through our advocate, through Jesus Christ, that brokenness leads us to a place of restoration and of gratitude. Psalm 51, verse 17 says, The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, that will not despise. If we're going to have true worship in this place, sometimes we need to be willing to be broken. Not only that, we need to be willing and this is a lot harder to let other people see us in our brokenness. I don't mind getting completely alone somewhere and being broken before God. But I like for other people to think that I've got it together. <laughs> when it just taint necessarily so. <laughs> Guideline number five. Our worship is not tied to a place, but is the natural outpouring of a surrendered people. We may find it easier to worship when we are in this place, and really that makes all the sense in the world. You know why they tell you when you're a student that you should pick a place to study and you should always study right there? because you get accustomed to that. When I sit at my desk in my workplace, I'm accustomed to being productive. If I have a laptop or a clipboard or something in my recliner in front of my TV set, it's not the same. So we find it easier to worship in this place with its stained glass windows and its altar, and a structure, and an order of service that we're familiar with. But God doesn't just dwell in a building. And it's not just about, I will worship God from this time to this time. And then it's over, 
He's got his time and I go and do my own thing. God doesn't make his home in organ pipes or stained glass windows or communion plates. He dwells in the souls and the hearts of people of every age and gender and race and nationality who have made the choice to surrender to his lordship. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are of the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? So rather than the spirit of God just inhabiting this building, the spirit of God dwells in you and you brought a little piece of that here together to, to all be together and share that together. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Worship is not about this microphone and this podium and this stage and these stained glass windows. People have found that all of that can be taken away, and I hope that doesn't ever have to happen to us. But it might not entirely be a bad thing if it did. People find when everything they think is important is ripped away that all of a sudden there is clarity, and you realize what really was important. The Spirit of God dwells in you, and you, and you, and you, and you. This building is just stuff. And we need to remember that. Here's one that can be a little hard. Guideline number six. Our worship is not itself the object of our worship. Let me say that one more time. Our worship is not itself the object of worship. It is tempting to observe or to participate in a well-crafted worship service, one that makes us feel free and makes us feel transported to a higher plane and to leave saying, now that was worship. I just, I didn't even feel the time flying by I just, I sang with the music until I was hoarse. I just, they really got it right. We really did worship just right. Worship, worship services such as occur every Sunday morning can be encouraging or discouraging or just kind of flat, but they must not be graded on anybody's scale of success. As I said earlier, any time that you are lost in adoration of the Lord our God, you're doing it right. Worship is adoration of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. It can't be evaluated by how simple or how complex our service is. Worship doesn't have anything to do with how full the room is. Worship doesn't have anything to do with how talented the band is. 
Worship doesn't have anything to do with the technology that we have and whether we have props and PowerPoint slides and all manner of things. Worship is also not about how we dress. It's not about how well we dress or how casually we dress. It's not about the percentage of people who raise their hands in the air. And it's not about how many people sit quietly and reverently because neither one provides assurance of reverence or sincerity. Worship is an act of surrender, of bringing what you got and putting it at God's feet and losing yourself. And when we, when we observe our own worship service and we think, oh, we're tuning it up, we're about to get it just right, then we have come dangerously close to worshiping our own worship. And that's idolatry. So let me encourage you. It's not about whether you're standing or sitting or whether your hands are in the air or folded in your lap or whether you're wearing a a suit and tie or whether you're dressed very casually. It's not about any of those things. Get your heart right. Lose yourself in worship of our God. Guideline number seven. Worship must have content. That seems self-evident, doesn't it? Worship must be about something, and that something must be true. We can muster up enthusiasm and emotion and celebration and fellowship and excitement at a movie theater while we're watching a story that we know is made up. When we worship, every song and every prayer and every story and every illustration and every message needs to be connected to something that is real and that is true and that is theological, theologically accurate and weighty and worthwhile. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not having fun. We ought to have some fun. But the reason for our fun has to be real and substantive. Hebrews talks about those who need to partake of milk because they're spiritual babies. Then 1 Peter says again that as newborn babes desire the milk of the word. It's a good place to start. It's a fine place to start. But we're not passing out bottles here. It's not where we want to stay. We've got to get into the meat of God. It needs to be real and true and worthwhile. In Isaiah 58, there's a story that I found very interesting. And, and it's about, and it, it's, it's written first from God's perspective when God says, 
Day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways. They ask me of righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to me. Sounds pretty good to me. And then they ask, remember this is from God's perspective. It is as if he has the pen and he's writing these words. And he says, and then they ask, why do we fast? Don't you see? Why do we humble ourselves, but you, God, do not notice? And then as we continue reading through that chapter, we see God drawing a contrast between what these people say and their actions. And we find that they are quarreling and fighting and mistreating the poor. They have a genuine desire to be near to God, but it doesn't touch their actions. Their, their actions don't match up to that. Finally, God says, will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? It's not. True worship, worship that has content and reflects the heart of God, is good news. But good news for who? When we gather behind these walls and we celebrate the fact that we are not in need and that Christ has freed us from eternal death, but we don't give a thought to what's going on outside these walls and who is lost for all eternity, then our worship is disingenuous at best. And at worst, it's just unacceptable to God. He says, worship me. I want your hearts to desire me. But how you live your lives is also a part of worshiping me. What you do when you leave this room matters. When Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth and read from Isaiah, he selected as his text the portion that said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. True worship is about adoring God, but it's also about offering ourselves, in the words of the Apostle Paul, as living sacrifices. It's about giving our whole lives to God. How we live, where we live, where and how we serve, what we spend our money on, how we spend our time. It's not just about coming together to celebrate how fortunate we are to be a part of the saved multitude. It's about our whole lives. Worship can't be compartmentalized 11 to 12, I worship, and then I go do what I want. And finally, guideline number eight. There is a balance to worship. There's a sense in which worship doesn't lead to anything. It just is. It's just worship. But there's another sense in which worship that doesn't lead to increased devotion and renewed commitment is a pretty shallow sort of worship. There is a sense in which 
expectations need to be set aside and we need to just lose ourselves in the majesty of who God is. But if we do that 52 weeks a year and nobody's lives has changed and there are no baptisms and there are no rededications and nobody feels God pulling them into the ministry or the mission field and nobody ever repents of anything that's going on in their life, then that worship was pretty ineffectual and pretty shallow. Our worship should be infectious, encouraging, and offer hope. It should say to anybody who attends here, I've found something that is meaningful enough that it's worth giving myself to it completely. Think of it this way. This is not original with me, but I love it. Genuine worship is a Christian, or in this case a group of Christians, gathering together to make yummy sounds as the most delicious meal ever prepared is being consumed. Are you worshiping God no matter what anybody else is doing? Are you worshiping God? If you don't know the God that we worship and you want to, he is the creator of the universe. He is everything. And in a minute, we're going to give you an opportunity to come forward. Or if that's, if that's more than you can do, just, just to find one of the elders or one of the deacons after the service. And we want, we want to pray with you. We want to show you how you can be saved, how you can be part of God's forever family. If you're carrying a burden that's so heavy you can't put it down long enough to worship the way you want to it's just so heavy we want to pray for you if you're here this morning out of curiosity or convenience but you've been touched and you want to be a part of this family we want to talk to you too the invitation is open for any of these reasons or there may be other reasons that I've not spoken of. We want to talk to you. We want to pray with you. We want to join with you in worshiping God together. We're going to spend just, just a few minutes just in worship without me talking I want to just allow a little bit of time I'm going to come down here and the elders are going to be in front but I want you to do what you need to do this morning to worship if you need to come to the altar and just spend a little time on your knees I want you to do that please if you want to stay right where you are and, and just turn around and kneel in front of that chair, then do that. If your relationship has been broken with somebody in this room and you need to go talk to them so that that barrier can be removed and you can worship, then go do that. I just want you to do what you need to do. If you need to pray silently, 
If you need to pray aloud, if you need to raise your hand in the air, if you need to say it quietly, just worship. It's the primary purpose why we're here. I'm going to be quiet now, but I'm going to come right down front, and if you need to talk to me or one of our elders, I invite you to come.